0: Good morning and welcome to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. I want to read to you from Psalm 61. It's a Psalm of David. He says, Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Well, I hope you're having a good morning, and this is real truth for today. And I am Pastor Jeff Shreve, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas. Well, I have in my hands a book by KT Griffiths. It's entitled "Shh, Mental Illness: The Silent Disease, A Mother's Heart," and uh, KT is with us today, and we're going to talk about this silent disease of mental illness and. KT is a wife and a mom, a mom of six kids, and she and her husband have gone through the the pain of having a child, their youngest child, with mental illness, and uh, just the ups and downs, the roller coaster ride of this mental illness, with anger and depression and. Uh, dealing with all the different emotions that her child had and that uh, were thrust upon mom and dad. And so, uh, KT, welcome to the broadcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Well, thank you for writing this book. I know this is really opening your heart. And uh, as I was reading the book, I mean, it really is a journal. And you have journaling on almost every page where you're just sharing your heart and what you were going through as a mom. And... Uh, so I think this is a, a resource that can help a lot of of parents especially as as we talked uh, just before the, the program a lot of young moms who are dealing with this mm-hmm. and and don't know what this is they just have a child that is is so up one moment and so down the next so uh, Katie share just well share just a little bit of your your background and then uh, this is this is child number six out of uh, out of six <laughs> kids and so uh, yeah things were going well, and then all of a sudden, boom.
1: Yes, exactly. I will I will mention the scripture that you read. That is exactly how my heart would go. It'd be like I'd be in the middle of a battle, and then I'd have to be reminded that this, this is an enemy. So when you look at your child, you don't want to think of them as the enemy. You want to know that God is in control, and that they're your loving child. You still want to love them through this pain and all of their chaos. But for me, it started, um, she is the sixth child, and yes, some of my other children had ADD, but hers went a little different direction. And in school, one time she was cutting, and that was discovered at home. So if you happen to see Band-Aids in the bathroom, or if you're looking, you know, odd behavior, marks on, their, on the arm or on the knee or on a, on a foot, um, ask her about it. Ask them about it you you might discover that this is deeper than what is visually seen so you have to get to the heart to find out the truth of what's being covered up by the pain that they're carrying
0: so <laughs> when when we talk about mental illness that is such a vast uh, you know a catch-all for lots of things and so uh what what were you dealing with in terms of mental illness with your youngest child
1: yes it started with the add you know that she wouldn't uh, be able to sit still in her class and the teacher said hey why don't you go have her evaluated and we did and it came back ADD was like the main thing also she had um, major anxiety and major depression so all of that combined was the beginning of where we ended up with you know bipolar uh, borderline personality um, schizotypal we've ended with a lot of other things attached and every time we would take her to a treatment program the um, clinician would always come back with her own diagnosis. So therefore, she ended up with a lot of different diagnoses, and I don't think there's much that we can't or haven't covered in in her diagnoses.
0: <laughs> and and there wasn't anything, I mean, um, she's growing up in a home that your other five children grew up in, so it's, it's not like something had changed drastically in her upbringing versus the other five, had it?
2: Well,
1: I think when she was five, we had moved into a new home, and... Um, she was playing with some neighborhood boys. And I think some things happened. I've never gotten to the truth of the exact what happened. But I know that something happened, and um, counselors have not been able to unravel that one. But that's where it started. Um, There was something that started there, and it was childhood play. And most people would be able to get through childhood play. But for some reason, this stuck with her like the plague. Mm -hmm. Therefore, moving forward, it was something that was already attached to her. I think, you know, if you, if you go into spiritual things, I really feel like, you know, demons or however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, other, other children have that kind of curiosity and things, and sometimes things attach. And so for her, she became a target and she was a targeted on sexual items, you know, throughout.
0: So it was, it was some little kids playing doctor or something like that, but that
1: that's right. Yeah.
0: And it, it was, she, off,
1: you know, yeah,
0: right. Yeah. Um, now how, uh, just curious, cause I'm one of six. H- how did your mm-hmm. other children respond to her?
1: Oh, they love her and they always tried to help her. Um, they, you know, they were pretty much out of the home grown on all, all the way to college. I mean, there was quite a gap between my oldest and my youngest. Um, so they, they really weren't there for most of all of this. And I think that's another reason she was an attention seeker. She really liked to have attention. So therefore, she'd create things to have attention. Well,
0: was, so, was, yeah, she, <clears throat> was she planned, or was she, uh, wow, we, we weren't expecting a sixth?
1: <laughs> I, You know, I don't know that one. I, uh, at one point, I remember my brother saying to me, you know, you prayed that you always wanted six children. Do I remember that prayer? I don't. But he does, and he says that I have prayed for six, and that I got six.
0: <laughs> now, did you come from a big family?
1: Had four, four of
0: us. Yeah, four. And your husband had how many? Three. Three. Okay. Three. Right. Uh, you know, in today's world, KT, uh, having six kids is is a lot. Um, maybe back, uh, you know, when I was growing up, we had six kids, we were a good Catholic family. And so Catholic families tended to have a lot of kids and we didn't think a lot about having, you know, six in our family. But, but nowadays, uh, six is considered huge. And, uh, I had three, it, it is difficult to parent six kids. And so, and especially if you're, if your sixth has these special, Um, emotional needs. How did you and your husband, how did you handle it with five, and then how did you handle it with six?
1: We kept them busy. I mean, they were very involved in sports. Um, Even with her and my oldest daughter, there was dance. I think keeping them active is huge, because they will get into trouble in other ways. It's after my other older kids all left and went their own ways, that when she became more connected to the internet and the internet that was a very, that was her friend. Let's say she made friends that were really her enemies. And then these enemies would, you know, attack and do things to her uh, through the internet. They would steal all her stuff. You know, if you're a gamer, you understand that concept. And that would devastate her, throw her more into depression. Um, the internet's dangerous. And we would put time restraints on it. We would take it away. I mean, there's so many things we tried in the middle of all this battle. But, yeah.
0: Well, um, OK, so we didn't when I was when I was raising kids, we didn't have the Internet wasn't a thing. So I think that's a that makes it a lot easier as a parent and dealing it with raising young kids today with all the dangers of of the Internet and social media and things like that, especially um, insecurities, I think, for for girls and uh, your mix in, in your kids is is what, KT? How many girls? How many boys?
1: Uh, two Two girls and four boys.
0: Okay. And so uh, from a mom's perspective, what's the difference between raising boys versus raising girls? Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Um, girls are emotional. Very, very emotional. Boys, they want to be your friend. They're going to want to hang out. You know, my boys would come and bring their guitars while I'm cooking and sing and have fun, just hang out. Um, my youngest daughter, she wouldn't even want to come into the kitchen. Therefore, she didn't want to learn how to cook. It was interesting that I make interesting. She was she was a loner in so many ways, but yet she was the life of a party in other events. So she would choose and pick her ways of doing it. And the other kids, um, they they melded very well together. They all got along great.
0: Mm hmm. Well, I've always maintained that you know, we just had three girls, but uh, my wife's relationship with the girls is different from my relationship with the girls. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the opposite sex thing really uh, really comes into play. Uh, a dad is, is naturally tougher on his sons cause he wants his sons to be right. tough and he's very protective of his girls. Um, and I've seen my, my uh, middle daughter has two sons and, uh, they, they can manipulate her. Uh, little Jack is only two years old uh, not yet two years old, but he knows how to play her because she has such a, such a heart for that's my little boy. <laughs> and so right. did you, oh, did you experience that?
1: Definitely, they they know if, if they want something, the girls, they would go to dad. Because I was always the, no, you can't do that. And then they'd play us as each other. We <laughs> had to learn how to get on the same page. That was really hard to learn how to be on the same page and agree to be agreed. Um, and we had to learn the hard way. We had to mess up a lot. And then you know, a nice counselor told us, um, you guys need to really get on the same page. <laughs> and so we we worked on it
0: yeah well now um your husband traveled quite a bit in your marriage didn't he
1: that's right yes he was gone quite a bit so i was the, let's say i was the heavy hand i was the authority because you know then he would come home and he's all fun and so that was you know that's i've heard that from other parents in the same situation that's hard for the mom but it's always a relief also
0: yeah so um in your struggles with your youngest uh how is that different than your husband's struggles with the youngest?
1: He's a fix-it guy. You know, he wants it fixed. He wants to make sure it gets fixed right now. And if he can't fix it right now, he calls for me. Um, So I am a long, a long thinker. I will be, I'm there for the long haul. So I see the whole picture. Uh, You know, I see the whole thing and I kind of, I, I just work differently, I, I, I apply grace, I work differently, I can see the whole picture, I understand the heart. And so it's, it's very different, you know, it's just a type A personality and, and I'm definitely not. You
0: know. Well, you talk about the nonverbal cues, I'm looking on page 44 and and something that struck me because I think parents mm-hmm. really do struggle with this. Uh, mm-hmm. Kids don't, they don't often tell you exactly what's going on in their world. Uh, you talked about right. moving your daughter in second grade, and uh, she didn't want to go to school in the morning. She always was wanting to mm-hmm. be late. And then you finally mm-hmm. found out that she was getting bullied by an older kid telling her you're right. ugly and you're going to hell. This is at a Christian school, every, right?
1: This It was, and this was every day. So this this we moved her into this new school, and it was hard because every day she'd wake up with a stomachache and couldn't leave the toilet. And I'm just like, okay, so I took it to the doctor and said, well, it must be lactose intolerant. Here, take some meds. So we did that, and that didn't help because that wasn't the root cause of the pain. And so finally, when we were leaving the school for the very last day, not going back the next year, she told me the truth of what had happened. So I turned that car back around. I went and talked to the principal because it's very important that the child sees that you're the advocate for them, no matter how painful life had been and even if it was something I could have let slide. Um, she needed to know that I cared about her, so it wasn't me really about being a bully walking into the school. Hey, this happened to my child. This was about m- me solidifying my doctor, my daughter, and caring for her heart. So,
0: hey, Amen. It, it was
1: hard. Mm-hmm.
0: Did she respond well to that?
1: Yes. Yeah, she, of course, she did. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Now, <clears throat> wh- why didn't she feel the freedom, KT, to tell you that as a little girl?
1: You know, she was. This was in the. Second grade, third grade, in that, that uh, time frame, the, little, uh, the bullying girl was in the third grade, and she was in the second grade. So uh, the children are young. They don't even understand their own emotions and their own pain. They just don't understand why these things are happening. So a lot of times it's the parent putting the pieces of the puzzle together to really figure things out. And I don't know why she didn't tell me, but she did. But she did finally on the last day. She did tell me. So they pick their time. You just have to be ready to listen.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that's uh, that's why uh, I think uh, I've always said this. Dads, if you can, uh, be the one to put your kids to bed at night and read them Bible stories and pray with them. And, uh, you know, kids need both uh, quality time and quantity time. And if your husband's traveling a lot, obviously, that's very, very difficult, if not impossible to do. But as you can, you do that. Because what I found with my girls is the more time you would spend with them, then the more they would open up and tell you. If you only have five minutes, hey, share intimate details of your life. We got five minutes. Go. They're not going to do that. So it takes it takes uh, quantity time to produce the quality time. Well, you're listening to Real Truth for Today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, and we're talking to uh, K.T. Griffiths about her new book, Shh, Mental Illness, The Silent Disease, A Mother's Heart. We'll be right back.
2: There's a culture war raging in America, and like it or not, we're in the battle. Sandy Rios,
3: AFA's Director of Governmental Affairs and the host of the podcast, Sandy Rios 24-7.
2: For 40 plus years, American Family Association has been fighting for biblical values in America. We've been here to shine the light of Christ into a dark world and to stand against the evil of the day. And by God's grace, we're making a difference. One vital way that you can join forces with us is through a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. The charitable gift annuity will benefit you and help ensure AFA is in the fight for years to come.
3: See if a charitable gift annuity is right for you. Call the AFA Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. The AFA Foundation, the financial stewardship division of the American Family Association.
4: What do we do
5: when people mistreat us? How do we respond? If we listen to the voices of the world around us, we will be no different than they are. God seems to have a different plan. Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series, The Tender Warrior, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live, 55 minutes of industrial-strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls, so plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. One of Satan's big lies today is that it's possible to be gay and be a Christian. When I use the term gay Christianity, I'm trying to define what is this, this overall movement to try and reconcile the Christian faith with homosexuality? Stephen Black and MD Perkins are on a mission to remind everyone what God says about it.
4: When you see these young people that are getting involved in uh, Revoice and these conferences, these what they call gay Christian, there is no such thing as really LGBTQ plus Christianity. Right. You're either a Christian or you're not. Uh, being Christ-like. Uh, is how we have to look at this theologically and biblically.
5: God's way is the only way. His truth brings complete freedom. The AFA Cultural Institute brings you God's truth in the special edition DVD, The Error of Gay Christianity, with Stephen Black and M.D. Perkins. Order it today when you visit resources.afa.net.
0: Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. We're talking to author KT Griffiths. She has a new book out, and the title is Shh, Mental Illness The Silent Disease. And as it says on the back cover, this book captures the roller coaster ride of mental illness and provides valuable insights into coping with the shock, anger, and devastation of this challenging disease. Most importantly, this book provides hope that there is always beauty amid the broken, and that brighter days are ahead. I love this quote, KT, uh, from uh, Dominic, uh, Dominic Herbst, who's a psychologist and author of Restoring Relationships. He said concerning your book, your book is brutally honest in sharing the truth of how one afflicted will unknowingly expose their caregivers to the same depravity that holds them captive. Okay, so you're a mom, you love your children, here's number six, she has these issues that your other children didn't have. Uh, I would suspect that you and your husband initially very ill-equipped to handle what in the world is going on.
1: Right. Well, she did visit many treatment programs for her depression. It would get so bad that she asked to go to a treatment program. Because, like one time, she she was at, this is when she's actually through high school and this is the college uh, part, and she had so depressed she dropped out. Well, then she had scabs from picking all over her body from like skin picking, and she slept in her pajamas all night for a couple days, and then she asked me to go to this treatment. She still wouldn't change, and I had to drive her to the airport just like she was because I'm not going to start the battle on something. I don't need to start the battle. The battle has already won by her getting on the plane and going to the treatment. So she did, she got on that plane and went to a treatment program. But that was one of the hardest things for me is to let her go. And she turned and she looked at me as she's getting ready to walk to the airport. And she has mom, am I ugly? And I said, no, honey, you're beautiful. And my heart just sank, you know, it was like, here she was, and I knew she was just disheveled at that moment, you know, but it didn't matter. You look at the heart. The heart is your child, mm-hmm. and you love your child. So she, you know, she she asked to go, and she knew that she needed it. And I think when you get to that place and your child's aware that they need something that serious, you make sure they get there.
0: Right. And she was, how old was she at that time?
1: Uh, probably 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 18, 19. Yeah,
0: somewhere Okay. Next. So KT, how did this, how did this progress? So you had that second grade situation where she finally told you mm-hmm. that she was getting bullied and then you put right. her in another school and it's, is it just the same song, second verse or, or does it, it is, get worse it and is. worse? I,
1: I think for her, it gets worse and worse. Um, when she went back to uh, another school, let's, let's just jump it to, um, she was. At that point, they were changing high schools, rezoning, rezoning, rezoning. So she was in a new school almost every year. It, it was really hard. And so when she finally landed on going back to high school, uh, she was like, how do I look? How do I look? How do I look? We're driving up good to the car, full drop-off. And her anxieties were the, at the peak of high. And I said, you're beautiful. You look great. And she goes, well, I said, you'll probably know some of the kids here. And that's what she was afraid of because so many kids had bullied her in the past. She's afraid that they would see her again, and would they treat her the same? You know, so you don't know what's going on in your child's mind as, when they're in an anxiety state of, of, you know, moving forward. So you just try to encourage them and try to help them think, because sometimes their thoughts are all over the place. So you try to ground them and help them think a little bit.
0: Well, now, was she was she given some kind of medication for her moods early on?
1: Yes. Uh, we didn't do any, we we kept with the mild medications, the ones that would still work, but they were not addictive. Um, our doctors were very careful in not giving her addictive things. Um, she does have an addictive type personality, so, you know, very, we had to be very careful with that. So, yes, there were, mm-hmm. there were meds and then she was off the of meds for a while. And then when she went into high school and, you know, second, uh, probably towards the middle of the first year there. Um, she asked to be put back on meds because she knew that the pressure was pretty strong. But that's when she started self-medicating again with marijuana and um, whatever whatever was happening at that time. And that's when everything went off the rails again.
0: Okay, so how old was she when she started to, to use drugs?
1: That's a good question. I don't know if I know that answer. I would say probably middle school, beginning of high school, um, she was— yeah, she was in a Christian school, and then she then we took her out, put her in a uh, program. So she missed her whole junior year being in a program. And then she came back to high school, and definitely, I know she started using it then, but I have a feeling there was many times before that that I didn't know.
0: Now, with your other kids, was that an issue? Uh, not, experimenting not with to drugs?
1: Say, i was I would say, Almost every kid experiments with drugs. So parents beware. It's just part of their fabric. Um, you have a really good kid not to, not to venture into that. But the, the peer pressure is so strong today. And like my daughter, she doesn't think marijuana is a drug. She goes, that's just, you know, that's not a drug. Uh, and, and I can try to talk to her about that, but that is that she's drawn that line in her brain that that is not a drug and it doesn't affect her. Um, but I see that it does when, you know, when she was on it. I could definitely tell. Um, but then she's gone into much—I I would say there's probably nothing she hasn't tried since then.
0: Yeah. So things from a parenting standpoint, things with her just get progressively harder, correct? Right, right. And the problems yes, get bigger.
1: Sure. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. With um, She was actually trafficked. Um, we, were, we sent her to a program, and I knew the program was like iffy, if it was going to work or not. And you had to give so much money for them to have a bus fare. So they, if they chose to leave or if the program said, hey, you have to leave, then they had a bus fare to leave. So we, we did that. And um, she told me she's leaving and, and nothing I can do. So they had the $50. They did not charge her phone before she left, which kind of concerned me. And so so she left. And this is when things got really crazy for her. This would have been... Um, Let's see, try to think of the age. Maybe she was like 19 or 20 in that range. Anyway, so she walked to a cell phone place where she could borrow a phone. She used the phone there and walking back, and these guys were ganging up on her and hey, girl, come sit over here, you know, that kind of thing. They took her behind a gas station, and they abused her, and then they took her to an abandoned house and kept her captive there for about five days. I had no idea where she was, and that's when I would pray. I said, God, cover her with your feathers and protect her. You know, you just know that God still knows who your child is, and he cares. He cares about my prayers also. He cares about a mother's heart. So I knew that she was going to be okay and that God was going to take care of her, but I don't know to the extent of what happened, but it was it was horrific. And uh, she finally left, and and, um, she called me, and I said, okay, I'll take you to the hospital. So I did, and the police were there they got involved, and that's when, you know, at other times I could always say, go to the hospital, you can get help there, meaning that the police are there, you can get help there, you know? So, you know, that's always been a cue for me to tell her that, because she's been on the street more than once, and that's kind of her lifestyle at this point, because when your self-esteem gets so low... How do, you know, How can you bring yourself out of what has happened to you in the past? It's hard, mm-hmm. very right. hard. And she's going to have to want that change. And it's something that I cannot force on her. This is all her decision that she has to make herself. I can love her through it, but I cannot do it for her.
0: Mm. Okay, so it's, if you had—you've you, gone through a lot of years of this. So if you had to do mm-hmm. this over again, you and your husband— Mm -hmm. how would you do it differently knowing the things you know now?
1: I don't know that there's anything I would do differently. I mean, I think that, I think that I'm a good parent. I think I've done well choosing and and picking my battles. Um, I do think that the child has to know, and and she's a Christian. I will say this. I mean, at 11 years old, she prayed and received Jesus with me in a car. She told me she was a sinner and that she had sinned. And, and, and tears running down her face. I know that she knows the Lord. So, in in a, a dream that she had, she had two doors that were one with with light seeping out of it, and one had dark seeping out of it, and there were two handles. So she went to reach um, reach for one and, with the light, and it and it, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, the light door, and and the dark would come and pull her back, and then the other one, that it would come back and. And the dark would reach over and pull her back. And so it was this battle, this back-and-forth battle. Mm -hmm. And so she's still in the middle of that battle. And I don't know. She keeps going back and forth between what she knows is truth to what she only knows herself as in this Mm -hmm. dark spot. So so for that, it's... um, I don't know how I would do anything differently because I really feel like I have tried and done everything that I know how to do in my own power. And I definitely had the Lord walking through me with me um, and, and many friends that were praying all the way through also.
0: KT, how would you, uh, because I know there are moms listening in and dads Mm -hmm. that uh, have this same situation and they don't know how to respond to it. I think the natural reaction for a parent would be to blame themselves. What am I doing wrong Mm -hmm. as a parent? So I'm assuming you and your husband had some of that and uh, that can really start to affect the marriage Uh, if he's gone a lot maybe he blames you, you're not doing something right, and and (laughs) you could say, well, if you were here more, you could help me. How did you guys get through that?
1: You know, that is, that is a battle for a lot of people, but it wasn't for me and my husband. I think that we were, we knew that there was nothing there going to divide us, Um, and there were some, I I will say there's major battles. There weren't, it wasn't an easy road, and it's still been hard, that we trust each other, and, um, like one time my husband, say, he was home. I, left, I had to go, go somewhere, and I was driving back home. He said, you need to get home now right away. I, you can't handle this anymore, this kind of thing. I said, you know what? I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to pull the car over, and you let me know when, when you've worked it out. Because I'm like, I can't always be there, and he's going to have to figure this out. So I said, I can get a hotel, or I can come home. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I did, I did go on home. By then, whatever issue was going on, it settled down a little bit. You know, he'd gone to his room and she'd gone to her room. And and so when I walked in, it was like, okay, this is what's happening. You go fix it.
2: (laughs) And I'm like, uh, okay,
1: okay. You know, and and so there are moments that that are like that, that it's so hard that you don't know what to do next. But somehow we get through it.
0: Well, you had mentioned that your husband, like most husbands, he's a fix-it guy, and when right. when the uh, WD-40 and duct tape don't work, then we're kind of <laughs> out of right. bullets. Um, let right. me ask Let me ask you this, from your perspective, dealing with her, and I know you you love your children, and you love her, and you you know, as Billy Graham said, when you have a child that's hurting, you, you know, you you almost love them more in a sense because you're pouring a lot of time and energy and effort right. and prayers into that mm-hmm. one how much of the choices that that she made the the bad choices she made Mm -hmm. how much of that are on her obviously if she gets abducted and sexually abused and trafficked Mm -hmm. that's not on her Um, Mm -hmm. so where where do you draw the line in this is your responsibility you're making these decisions uh, as opposed to you have an illness and it's you're not able to you're you're crippled and you're not able to walk.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think in some ways, all of the decisions are on her, no matter how mental illness it is or not. Um, Because I do think that God gives you a way out of everything and, you know, like sneaking out a bedroom window at night, that's her choice. Is that mental illness because of her anxiety and her depression or driving her so, you know, I got to get out of here, I got to get out of here, you know, yes, that could be part of the mental illness. but. Maybe she could have come and told me, hey, I'm really struggling with this or that. And maybe I could have talked with her. And I have many times talked her down out of doing something like running away. Um, So, you know, I do think that I don't want to take the blame or the guilt on me because I really feel like for me, I have worked through these situations. But I have a picture, an an illustration in my book about this uh, a kid on top of a big, big truck. And the parents underneath going, no, and the kid's got scissors, and he's going to cut the string that's holding the truck back up, and it's going to fall on the parent, and it's all this guilt. The truck is named guilt, and it is going to fall on the parent. And there's a lot of parents that cannot get past that. Um, So please know that this is not your fault, and God is with you, walking this through with you. And you have to know that, you know, don't apply the guilt to yourself.
0: Mm. Very good. Well, the book is called Mental Illness, the Silent Disease, A Mother's Heart by K.T. Griffiths. And you can get the book at ktgriffiths.com, like Andy Griffiths. Uh, Andy Andy didn't have a plural, did he? It was just Andy Griffiths. So this has a plural, K.T. Griffiths, G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H-S, and K like... Uh, like, care uh, no, that's a C. K like Kate, T like Tom, uh, dot com, com. So, uh, KT, let me ask you this. Why'd you write the book?
1: I did not know I was writing a book. These were just my thoughts. My daughter was lost in a huge, large town, a very crime-rated town. And I just sat down and started writing my thoughts. So you're going to get a mixture of wisdom and thoughts. Um, I have quotes in there also by people that I trust. And I, that's, and it just, at one point, God told me I was going to be writing a book and I didn't believe him because I'm not a writer. I'm not an English person. School was hard for me, but God told me to finish it after I laid it down for a whole year and said, no. And God said, pick it back up. I told you to finish this. So my hope is that now that it's done, it will touch lives and help people think. I, I look at it as it gives you a pause to think, how would I react in this situation? And so I'm hoping it would help people.
0: Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, I'm, I appreciate you writing it because this is really bearing your soul. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's hard to write these things, but it's very important for people to, to know they're not alone in this struggle because uh, mental illness is something that affects a lot of people. And um, and there is, there is hope in the Lord, and he is the God of hope. Well, you're listening to Real Truth for Today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. And uh, we're up against a break, but when we come back, we're going to open the phone lines. The number to call is 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. And uh, KT will be with me as uh, maybe you have a question for her and maybe you have a situation that's similar to what uh, she and her husband have gone through and are still going through uh, with a daughter that they love but that has mental illness and has made terrible decisions and just believes lies about herself and and that causes the bad decisions. So you call in 888-589-8840. We'd love to take your call. Don't go away. Prior
5: to birth, children need our help. Read A Pastor's Notes, God Calls the Church to Stand Boldly for Life by Pastor Joseph Parker. We are called this
0: day to stand for the innocent and speak out on their behalf.
5: This collection of essays by Pastor Joseph challenges us to take a public stand to protect the lives of the unborn. A Pastor's Notes is available now at resources.afa.net.
0: The body of Jesus Christ must speak up What
5: does the American Family Association stand for? AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation Thank you for standing with us. The following is not an actor, but a real life story from Trinity Debt Management.
0: I'm Cory and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates and it just wasn't getting any better and I knew I had to do something. So, my mom told me about Trinity and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt, I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity, because it was such a relief and less stress in my life, and it was the best thing I could have done for myself. Because once I called Trinity, they took care of me, and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders, and they are a Christian-based company. I love it.
5: If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813.
0: I'm Corey, and I'm debt-free for keeps.
5: 1-800-788-1813. For over 40 years, American Family Association has stood for righteousness and God's truth in our nation.
3: American Family Association Executive Vice President, Ed Battagliano.
5: AFA is here every day fighting for the future of America, and praise be to God, we're making a difference. One important way you can join us in the battle is through a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. The charitable gift annuity benefits you, and it benefits the culture-transforming work of American Family Association.
3: Contact the AFA Foundation today to learn how you can shore up permanent income for your retirement years while supporting American Family Association. A charitable gift annuity helps you, and it allows AFA to impact America for generations to come. Phone 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345.
0: Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. We're talking to author K.T. Griffiths. Uh, She has a brand new book called Shh! Mental Illness, the Silent Disease... And this is written from the perspective of a mother's heart. It wasn't written uh, as a book per se. It was her journals and her thoughts, and they were finally put into a book. But she talks about the struggles, along with her husband, of uh, raising a child with mental illness and um, bipolar and, and all these mood swings and making bad decisions as a result of that, believing lies about being ugly and undesirable. And uh, so we're going to the phone lines right now, uh, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. If you have a question for KT about this subject, um, she would be glad to help you. And KT, we did have this question. My wife texted it to me. Uh, she said, mm-hmm. how, do, how should a parent plan long-term to deal with a child with these issues? Because chances are they're not going to be able to support themselves.
1: Well, that's true. Um, for us, we did take her to a homeless shelter, and, and we left her there. It was hard, but she learned a lot there, and she learned how to get her finances in order and different things. So we don't know what God's plan is, but when she is abusive to the home, that's the time when they cannot stay in the home. It, it's not healthy for the marriage. It's not healthy for the home and the other children. So, you know, she's a survivor they're a survivor. Um, it's, it's a shame that the government has shut down uh, institutions and things that help people through this type of, of issues. But, you know, you just have to trust. Trust that God has a way for your child to learn what they need to do. And there's also self-will in the middle of all this. We I forgot to mention that, but you asked me earlier. Um, but, it, you know, there's God's plan, there's Satan's plan, and then there's self-will in that mix of choices.
0: Well, and so, you know, I think about when you're talking about uh, institutions that uh, we used to have uh, when the movie came out in the 70s, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, it, right. it oh. didn't create that in and in, put that in a positive light. <laughs> but no, but no. those places existed and uh, they did help people and they helped parents. Uh, but but those places really don't exist anymore, do they?
1: They do not. You know, I have a friend, um, her son. Is on the spectrum, and he just w- would pick up something and just throw it at her. Well, she happened to have a very thick book in front in her hand, and she went up to block it, and the knife or whatever it was used was sort of stuck right in the book. Okay, so that's the reality of dealing with a child with an uh, an disorder of some type that cannot control their emotions. I definitely need to get them in to counseling, um, cognitive behavioral. You know, they have a lot of programs that you you need. To, it's so it's so much work. We have to be a part of that. We have to go with them. We have to take them. We have to. And I've done it all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it becomes a lot. But that's the only way to get something to change in the home.
0: Was was your daughter violent with you?
1: Um, at times, she kind of knew her boundary with me. You know, it's, she's never hit me. She's never, you know, harmed me. But the threats you know, her threat would be, I'm just going to kill myself, you know, mm-hmm. and so then she would change it to a different, you know, direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would call 911 or I would take her to the hospital. I mean, you know, I don't take those types of threats lightly. Those are something we have to pay attention to. Right. And, um, you know.
0: Yeah. Did she fight with her brothers and sisters or is there too much of a gap in age to where they didn't do that?
1: There is too much of a gap. They, they all treated her very well. Yeah, they did, and they would listen to her. They'd, you know, sing with her. They'd, you know, they'd play. they play. Were, they were siblings. They were good.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, just curious, KT, when you guys have Thanksgiving or Christmas, because the, mm-hmm. the, you have grandkids, right?
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: so when yeah, everyone have, gets together, is she part of that?
1: No, she is not. Um, in the beginning, she was, but... You know, when the grandkids got a little older and different things, um, I would have a separate meal for her after the fact. And if the older siblings wanted to come back and be with her, sometimes they would, but they would take their kids on home. Um, And and that was okay with me. I did not want to make that an issue either because I'm not going to sit and sulk because I can't have the whole family together. That's not important. What's important is that she still feels valued and they still feel respected for their decisions. So, you know, that's how we did that.
0: Okay, and if if they, if they she were around the grandkids, would that be a a, a bad thing?
1: Um, the, the parents choose who can be around her and who can't, and that's that's their decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, I think they're looking at more spiritually, than she's not gonna hurt anybody.
0: right. They just
1: right. don't want the spiritual part of where, where she's at to kind of inflect um, onto the children.
0: Right, that makes sense. Um, okay, so here's another question, KT. That my wife came and texted me. She's mm-hmm. she's listening and loving the program. Mm-hmm. She said, uh, "What would you say are the best boundaries you have put in place with her?"
1: Hmm. Oh, there's been so many along the journey. Um, definitely, definitely the phone and the internet. That you know, there has to be a time cut off on those at night if your child's ever going to get to sleep. Um, that those were good boundaries and they were also broken boundaries because she would find a way to break the boundaries and we would have to just take the whole phone away. You know, she could earn it back and she was very good at doing that. So, you know, it it became a back and forth on that issue. Um, Some others would be, let me try to, you know, we, we, we did have like mild, I have to say mild curfews because for me, um, I never wanted to put my child in harm of trying to get there before 12 o'clock midnight. You know what I mean? If you're not home by 12 o'clock midnight, you're grounded from mm-hmm. us and other parents have done this. And what happens is that puts anxiety and pressure on the child and they're rushing home. But all I, re- all I expected was a phone call. Mom, I'm not going I'm going to be a few minutes late. Mm-hmm. And is this okay? Are you okay with me? I'm driving now. You know, as long as I got the respect of the phone call, I was okay. I wasn't going to ground them for the month. Right. Um, different people run their homes differently. That's how I kind of went with mine. Um, that that was another boundary. I'm trying to think of some boundaries. Um,
0: well, I think I think that's I think that's wise, and I think that that's uh, you know if you set these just hard you know sharp boundaries mm-hmm. you didn't do this you were a minute late um yeah i, I don't see where that benefits anybody mm-hmm. well uh we have uh going to the phone lines we have chris from mississippi on the line chris welcome to real truth for today
4: hey thank you very much for having me yes sir what i wanted to say i was diagnosed manic depressive bipolar as a child i've seen a minimum mm-hmm. of 11 psychiatrists and psychologists I'm an mm-hmm. evangelist. I've been to heaven and hell. No no joking. I've been there mm-hmm. and was kicked out of Bible I mean, college, still don't even know why. <laughs> and But my father would tell me, I made a D when I was 10 or 11 years old. He said, Chris, you're dead to me for six weeks. So that compounded. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that God hated my guts, which has made it many times worse. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, and I'm not saying none of it works, but I've been to the best of the best, paid them over 30000 out of my pocket in mm-hmm. two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, I'm no better. But I'm like, Lord, your word says in James that let the double-minded man know he'll get nothing from God. So mm-hmm. I've had so many people say, we're going to help you do this or that. But I'm like, Chris, you're going to have to study everything you can get your hands on what, on what to eat because diet's part of it and you're you know you're but when i'm right with god i'm closer and walk holier than anybody i know when i'm wrong mm-hmm. i'll throw the bible mm-hmm. across the room i have to script them in pieces by hand you know mm-hmm. just from the anchor and i'm like lord what do i do if i you know how do i go to heaven it's hard been it's hard to surrender
2: yeah
1: mm-hmm. Well, I have,
4: but when the moods are up and down like the light switch you know, I've questioned, Chris, are you even sick? I don't know if you're on you know, medicine or not.
0: Go not ahead, right Katie. Now. Mm-hmm.
4: I'm fixing to get back on it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. First, first of all, I'm going to say I'm not a doctor, psychologist, nothing. Okay, I'm a mom. But for me, it sounds to me like you've had a childhood experience of some sort that you've been able to see heaven and you've been able to be in it like an out-of-body experience of some sort that puts you in a different realm. And so you're seeing both of these things, um, you know, and I've only sa- said that from experience. Um, but so what you need to do is, is kind of focus on the truth. The truth will set you free. And I know that the bipolar, when the bipolar comes in, it's, it's really difficult to turn that upside down so that you're thinking right. But that is your only aim. And God has all the answers. And I, I would always ask my daughter, did you see God in the room? Was he with you? And she would think about it, and she would yes, he was, because God always gives you a way out. He just mm. does. So yeah. you have to kind of pause, give yourself a pause to think, and go, is God in this place? And you will see him. You'll know he's there. He's always there. He's going to. He wants you to reach out for help. So right. instead of tearing apart the Bible— you know, he's he, he, that's Satan. You know that's Satan. So, because you know God's Word is the truth, so you're going to have to ask God, show me the truth, and not let me believe the lie. And then, you know, hopefully everything moves forward.
0: Amen. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for calling in. Good answer, KT. Okay, we have Lynn on the line from Arkansas. Okay. Lynn, welcome to the program. Thank
2: you. Well, I just wanted to say um, some experience with a couple family members and I'm not saying that everybody's body is different at what right. um, is toxic to them etc but mm-hmm. um, this family member had uh, they said she had bipolar um, she had been not uh, living here she came to stay here um, I noticed when I uh, dumped out the recycling. The bin was full of diet coke cans, which has aspartame. Um, mm-hmm. He
0: had
2: been he had been eating a lot of top ramen, which has um, MSG. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oil oils are something that is really um, important and can affect different people differently. And when she, I went to the health food store and looked up. Um, you know, back then I, they didn't call it bipolar. I forget what they called it. Um, but anyway, um, the person at the health food store recommended this certain kind of oil and she was actually talking out of her head where people would Mm -hmm. think she was crazy, very paranoid. Mm -hmm. Um, and after she had that oil within an hour, she was talking like a normal person. Her, they said her brain was starved or, or, toxic from some of this stuff she'd had but mm-hmm. um, I know that trauma she had also had a childhood trauma and I know that right. that has a lot to do with the mental issue so but it's often more than one thing and um, the whole situation with oils is worse now because everything's getting so expensive and um, food makers are uh, substituting different kind of oils where they used to have better, um, yeah. a better quality. Um, well, Kate, but there's a book.
0: Can yeah, I Kate,
2: say this one? Yeah,
0: say, go ahead, Lynn. Mm-hmm.
2: There's a book called The Crazy Makers. It's pretty old, but it, it was very interesting. It was from 2007. And the subtitle was, How the Food Industry is Destroying Our Brains and Harming Our Children. Mm. And the author, um, I'm going to spell her name real quickly. It's Simon (laughs) S-I-M-O-N-T-A-C-C-H-I. And Mm. um, it's not really easy to read as far as you sit down and just breathe through But I would would say that's all
1: true, that, you know, but it's going to be really hard to get your child to realize, hey, I have to eat differently. They're going to live on ramen noodles. They're going to do their Diet Cokes, you know. So, again, it's a choice they have to make. No matter, we might know the truth and the truth will set them free. But when they're in a mental state of some sort, it's hard to get them to see the truth and to want to do the truth. That's hard. That's hard to choose a, a, a healthy thing over something they like. Um, so I would just say, you know, it's just their choices again, and I'm glad that you found a solution for your friends.
0: Well, okay, so it, just in the last uh, couple of minutes that we have, KT, uh, <laughs> tell our listeners how this book will help them.
1: Like I said, I really think it gives them a positive think. How would I, how would I react into this situation if this was me? So for parents or spouse or someone, even a coworker, I had a friend uh, who read the book, didn't know anything about mental illness. And she was like, wow, now I understand this. This is like a real eye opener for her. Another person and another mom came up to me in tears going, oh, this touched me so much. It was so real to me. I'm walking through this right now. And so either way, if you're a parent that's struggling through this or if you're somebody who doesn't know anything about mental illness, this is a good eye opener to understand a little bit more about it. It's not a clinical written book. It's, it's an easy read, actually. I, I kind of picture it as an airport pickup read. Um, <laughs> so it is an easy read.
0: Yes, it is. And tell our listeners where they can get it.
1: Well, you can get it at Amazon. And um, you can also get it at um, Morningstar Publications. Um, and I think that's... You could probably get it through Barnes & Noble also.
0: Yeah, and they can get it it. on your, if they go to ktgriffiths.com, they can get it there, I'm assuming. That's
1: right. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, KT, thank you so much for being my guest today. And thanks for writing this book and for sharing your heart and and just giving hope to parents that are struggling with this. Because it's a real issue, and uh, we need to be encouraged and to know that God is the God of hope. And uh, God does listen when we pray, and God will help us through Uh, this difficulty so God bless you and your husband and thank you uh, for being my guest today well you've been listening to Real Truth for today and I'm your host Pastor Jeff Shreve and I will be back again tomorrow go out today remember you're called to be his witness so shine for Christ and share what great things the Lord has done for you and God will use you God bless